Welcome to the Minnesotan Hockey Podcast. The goal of our pods are to give our followers a taste of how great the game of hockey is here in Minnesota. Speaking of great, check out the Minnesotan, a cool and an authentic apparel concept, which is a one-of-a-kind, 100% unique to the marketplace. You can visit their flagship store seven days a week in historic downtown White Bear Lake or on the web at theminnesotan.com. On today's show, we sit down with Rogers head coach Dave Brown and hear about how he got super involved in hockey, both at the youth level, high school level, and off-season level. Should be a great pod. Hope you enjoy today's show. Love is a burning thing, and it makes a fiery ring bound by wild desire. I fell into a ring of fire. Well, good afternoon, Dave. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Just uh, I think my new job is being an ice scheduler, so just hammering through some ice schedules. Yeah, I think we are all scheduling ice uh, in some way, shape, or form that anyone who's listening to this show and lives in Minnesota is scheduling ice, whether they like it or not, don't you think? I mean, it's the, the if you're a youth parent right now, you're trying to figure out what your ice is scheduled. If you're a tournament organizer like myself, you're trying to figure out your ice schedule. You're a, a AAA organizer and a high school coach, you're organizing ice Around the clock, aren't you? Yeah, we're we're pretty excited. I mean, the the ice is. It sounds like we can get back going here pretty quick. So I'm I'm super excited to to just put the skates back on. It's been probably the longest I've gone without putting my skates on in six years. How do you plan on handling the old uh, pods of ten on two sides of the ice? It's gonna be kind of odd, isn't it? It's it's definitely a different experience. You know, we just you put kids in groups of eight with a goalie and a coach, and it's we just found out that the coaches can't switch groups halfway through. So you're going to have your 10 kids or your nine kids and you got an hour and got to get them better. I, uh, I'm interested to see, I might even go out and check out some, some practices here in the next couple of weeks, just to see how uh, tough the arena managers and the arena staff are going to be on the whole uh, number of kids and the, the sides of the ice. And uh, it's going to be, we- you know, it's going to be kind of weird to, to watch and to see how it actually plays out. Don't you think? Uh, we had a zoom meeting, um, I think two nights ago and he just kind of gave us the layout on the rink, which door you come into, which door you leave. Um, there's going to be like a thermometer right where the locker room assignments are and just trying to keep everybody safe. And you, you got your two groups of 10 and, and I think it's a pretty good plan in place. And, you know, ho- hopefully nothing too crazy comes out of it. Yeah. Let's just hope that uh, we learn to deal with the new normal and we can get, go from this level of play to the, uh, to the level of play of actually playing some games and from your high school team's perspective, getting some STP scrimmages in and from my perspective, getting some AAA games in in some way, shape, or form. I, th- I think we'll get there. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm guessing you are too. That Braemar tournament at the end of the July is one of the highlights of the summer and you get such quality programs there. And for Rogers, it, for last year was my first year and that, that, that July tournament was kind of a, a big piece of it. And, you know, I'm really hoping that by the end of July, that, that STP tournament's going to happen. It's just, it's fun to see the, the high school hockey season so short and so quick and it flies by that 
just getting that little extra tournament in July um, is a pretty cool, cool experience. That tournament always has. This was the first year that tournament didn't have like state tournament implications because it was Maple Grove and Wyzetta in the final last year. But you know, remember Delano won it one year or got to the finals and played Grand Rapids. I mean, it just seemed like every year that tournament somewhat dictated some, some an odd kind of way for one hour scrimmages with four lines and no matching jerseys. It always seems to have some some predication on what the next year might look like. We we played Duluth East in the championship when I was at Wyzetta, uh, one of the years, and it felt le- a lot like a section playoff game. Doesn't for, it? For it? It's so weird. For, it's for, Sunday for, afternoon. For you're wearing flip flops, and it's that that weird format where like the some people play like three games on Sunday and some play two. It's it's a little bit odd, but still exactly what you're saying is, you know, people are rolling their sleeves up on that on that Sunday afternoon for sure. That Duluth East team made the state championship that year. I do know that. And they beat us in that, that STP tournament championship. I'll never forget uh, my son played for Jefferson one of those. Well, he played a few different summers in that thing, but they played Duluth East probably the same summer you're talking about. And he just said to me, he goes, that Ricky Lyle is so good. That's all you remember. He kept. He came off. The, I'm like, well, what about Ryder Donovan? What about Garrett Worth? What about those guys? No, Dad. Ricky Lyle. He was the real deal. <laughs> Isn't that weird? I think that's. I think players I think like that. Garrett, I think Garrett Worth had a hat trick. I could be wrong, but Luke Luke Lemaster, I think, was on that team yep. too, and uh, yep. that team. You were really good. Was that? Were you there the summer? Remember the Holy Family? Why is that a hit? Remember that whole thing? Yeah, yeah, I know who. I, I, <laughs> in fact, you, you can still find that hit on Twitter. Oh, I know who made the hit. Uh, the, the 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 gentleman who made the hits, Dad. It was a college roommate of mine, so I know exactly who made the hit. And he's a super good kid. And he's one of the nicest kids I've I've ever coached. I wonder uh, where he's going to college. His sisters went to Michigan. Is he going to Michigan? too that's it's embarrassing it i don't know where he's at i don't know we'll, we'll figure that out someday we got a lot of ground to cover here you got a for a 30 year old man you got like a 60 year old man's uh story let me tell you there's a lot you've already you've packed a lot in already haven't you it's been uh an amazing eight years um you know winning a state championship and going to state twice and i the, the one thing i'll never forget is coach o'leary just kept telling me like try to take it all in like he had already been a few years prior when they had 13. that game against centennial in yeah. 2013 and and he him and you know it's coach rooney's first time making it to the state tournament he had coached hockey for so many years yeah. and i i was i was just i was it uh, it's i try, I tried to not take it for granted that's for sure all right let's walk through who dave brown is first uh it's we'll go fast um you don't have a storied hockey career um you you have uh kind of a better journalist career journalism career than you do have hockey career up until 2012 wouldn't you agree to that yeah i um i quit hockey after bantams uh i i i wasn't that good and i i had always loved hockey um and, you know, Champlin team was pretty good. They had some good players like Brandon Jager, who ended up being uh, a pretty good pro goalie. And it, 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 it just didn't work out. And I really fell in love with hockey when I was in college in Southern California. Um, 
and I kind of linked up with Michael Russo and it kind of got me into the game. And one thing led to another, and I was back in Minnesota coaching Bantam hockey. So you grew up, you have a, a sister and a brother. Um, and were you a very sporty family? Did, did, did they play sports? Uh, did, were you the yeah, only one, or how did that yeah, work out? It, it, it's kind of funny. Uh, my brother played in the state tournament for Champlain Park in soccer, and my sister made it to the state tournament um, on the dance team. So they both played in the state tournament. My brother made it all the way to the Metrodome. Um, so yeah, my, my dad is, uh, in, uh, the hall of fame at, uh, Moorhead state for being a cross country runner and track guy. So yeah, there's sports is definitely in my family. And there's some hockey in your family. Your grandpa was a big hockey fan, right? Yep. He, uh, he's the one, he's the reason I got into hockey when I was four. Um, he took me to Champlain athletic and I was four years old and I was kind of the first grandkid to really get into hockey and, it was a big deal. Unfortunately, he passed away when I was four um, because I think he was pretty excited about having a grandkid play hockey. And and then he had a stroke and it just it didn't work out. But I played up uh, through Bantams for Champlain. So, yeah, your brother, what was your brother's name? Andrew. So Andrew goes to Cal Lutheran. Somehow you get stuck going out to visit him and you go to Cal Lutheran, too. So did your sister go to school out east, out west, too? Nope, she went to Gustavus. Okay, so your brother goes to Cal Lutheran, you go to Cal Lutheran, and you become a journalism major there. Uh, walk through how you met Michael Russo and became a sports journalist out of college. So it was um, my sophomore year, and a mutual friend of my brother's, who actually met on my visit when I was a senior in high school, um, linked me up with two San Jose Sharks fans who were from Palo Alto. Um, they were both on the soccer team. And pretty soon I was going over watching, you know, San Jose Sharks games every night with some of the soccer team. And one thing led to another. And all of a sudden we had a club hockey team um, that a guy from Colorado was putting together and it became an ACHA club hockey team. And I just, I really started falling in love with hockey. But what I was doing was I was a communications major and I created a website um, to, to write about sports and Michael Russo found it. And this is back when Twitter was super new. It was like 2009, 2010. Yeah. Uh, the wild, the wild weren't very good. And Russo invited me down uh, to a morning skate in Los Angeles. And while he's covering him, the wild, while he's covering the wild for the Star Tribune, and and me and him went out for coffee after the morning skate. And this is when Marty Havlat was on the team, and yep. and and many things like that. Merrick Zidlicki and. We went on, we talked and talked and talked and we got closer and closer. And then he got me a credential for a game. So I ended up getting to be a credentialed kind of, um, I don't know, shadow him for a day uh, down there at, at uh, Staples Center. And I'll never forget it. I, I think I was, I think I had uh, dinner before the game that night with Russo, Tom Reed, Jim Nill, um, just everybody you could imagine. I was, I was, it was a pinch me moment. That's for sure. So at that point after college, you actually had a journalism career, um, kind of a budding journalism career. Um, you worked for the NHL network. Did you work for fourth period or you just met the guys from fourth period? No. So it, uh, 
you can you can actually find some of my NHL Network radio uh, clips on YouTube. But I, I didn't work for NHL Network. I worked for a Canadian hockey magazine called The Fourth Period. Oh, and then um, they picked you up. That's how it worked, right? Yep, yep, yep. And then I was like a correspondent that they would have me call in and talk about the Wild. And that was that was the 48 game season, the NHL lockout. Um, just crazy. It was Parisi and Suter's first year. They signed on the 4th of July. I remember going down to K-Fan with Russo and it was like Barrero, Justin Gard and Russo and me and we're sitting down. This is right around the 4th of July and Russo's telling the story on how he found out um, and the, the, the airplanes and it, 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 the stories of that 2012 uh, when they signed on July 4th. I'll, it's just a crazy moment when I was kind of a, a writer at the time. Yeah, the, Twitter was definitely up and functional by 2012 because I remember, yep. I remember yeah, for that Fourth of July. I remember where I was. It was kind of like a JFK kind of thing. Like, where were you when you found out it happened? I'll, I'll never forget where I was. I was actually, ironically, at my assistant coach's house out kind of by in Lindstrom, uh, Jake Pirano. I was at his house on the Fourth of July for like a. Fourth of July party, and I'll, I'll never forget where I was when I found that out. It was right around noon, wasn't it? Like eleven it, it o'clock was, in the morning. It was, it was right in the afternoon. The only reason I remember that is um, we left, and and it was like four o'clock, and it. I think Barrero went live on the radio that day, and we were listening to it all the way home. And then I was writing, and then I actually wrote an article um, that day about the Minnesota Wild and you know, the young guys like Granlin and Brodeen and Zucker and Coyle and all these guys were starting to come onto the scene. And then you add Parisi and Stewart in the mix. And, and my, my article at that time was on the hockey writers website and it ended up going viral on Yahoo sports puck daddy. Really? Uh, so then Yahoo sports posted it. And that that's kind of towards the end of my journalism career there. Well, I want to get to that. So, and it's kind of a funny story, and it's so Minnesotan what what happened to you, or or so so hockey. You just basically got addicted to hockey and not uh, broadcasting. So, walk through the the the, the crossroads between uh, writing and uh, coaching Bantam B ones for Champlin Park. So it was uh, 2012, and the NHL lockout hit. Um, and I, I didn't really have much else going on. And, and I linked up with CPYHA and, uh, I ended up becoming the band and B one head coach coaching hockey for the first time ever. So you had zero coaching experience, very little playing experience. You played a little bit in college club, if you want to call it that, but you were more like from the sounds of it, you were more like the, the guy who was, uh, encouraging guys to play hockey right yeah 100 percent. my playing career is about as low as you can possibly but go. you weren't coaching out in california no nope, stretch nope. right nope not not really other than playing you know in some uh, adult leagues with some lawyers and doctors and you know the la kings were getting really good they won the stanley cup my senior year of college and there's just a, these soccer guys I, I would take them on the ice you know before school and we would just skate and i really just started falling in love with hockey again and then the lockout hit and i just showed up to cpyha which is where i grew up playing and all of a sudden i'm the band one coach so you you become the coach and I love the story you told me before the show. Like you went zero and thirteen to start the season, 
and then the meeting happened. What happened at the meeting? The the co- the dreaded parents requesting a meeting with the coach meeting. I love these. We're we're zero thirteen. Uh, looking back, I was probably the worst hockey coach of all time. <laughs> I love uh, that part. Nice add in, right? Every every every. You know what's funny? A quick interruption. I talked to every coach who's got a ton of experience, and they always lament how what a crappy coach they were when they were young. I'm one of them, so I, I'm I'm with you when you when you echo these sentiments. I, I I can even remember the the drills. I it, it's embarrassing. I I'm glad there there's no you know footage of going back and rink cams or whatever to find those. It, it was embarrassing. We're 0 13, and they I got some hockey dad a hockey dad that wants to meet, and I'm like, you know what? Sure, yeah, I'll meet you. You know what do you what do you got to say? And it it was a dad that the that the board of the association told me I didn't even have to talk to, and right. I, I didn't really care. I was I was fine. I was young and naive at the time about hockey parents, and I I show up to the ice forum and we're about to meet in the community room, and I walk in and there's you know six seven eight dads sitting at a table like ready for me to like walk in. I was like, well, this is a little more than I anticipated, and. I they were the lions. And, they were the lions, and you were the meat, right? Yeah, and they were they were ready to feast. And I actually, I just sat there and listened. And they handed over a bunch of papers of hockey skill development in Finland, Sweden, Russia. Um, I mean, some of the some it was a stack, just a stack of papers. And they were just telling me that you know that what you're doing isn't isn't right and i thought they were crazy like i know what i'm doing i'm writing for the wild at the same time like right i know what i'm doing and i I really didn't and i remember going home i started reading the stuff and found myself going down a rabbit hole of finding you know the adm stuff online and i accidentally found like the canadian hockey development database online and started finding drills and and then he started going to the USA Hockey Symposiums, and I just I fell in love with with learning, and you know, and then I started having, you know, some of my idols are uh, Tarasov, who kind of built the Russian yep. machine, and he never really played, and John Cooper, the Tampa Bay Lightning head coach, he was a lacrosse player at Hofstra, Ken Hitchcock, he he was, and I I just started realizing like you know so what you didn't have a luxurious playing career and. I, uh, I started reading a ton of books. Um, I started going to a lot of the symposiums all the way up to level five in Lake Placid. Um, when I was a tier one coach for Minnesota hockey, they, they did a symposium at the, the super rink that I sat through and I still have the high performance, uh, development models that they, they got from USA hockey and the national program for 14, 15 and 16 year olds. And, do you, do you remember the – I was coaching up until, like, 2012. Do you remember the cue cards? Did you ever get those with, with oh, all the, yeah. drill, with, with the drills with on the, the front little, back? Flip with chart the thing? Clip, the they were nice. Clip. That was nice. I still, I, I still have every single one of those. Yeah, that was nice. See, we can say nice things about Minnesota hockey and, and the ADM model without making it controversial. <laughs> <laughs> I it, 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 almost like if you if you don't say nice things about them, everything you say is mean. I'm like, no, there's a lot of great things about the ADM and great things about Minnesota hockey and USA hockey. I, I there there's you know, and then when I started coaching high school hockey, which I'm sure we'll get into, there's the clinic that you go to before the season. Yes, um, down in St. Paul usually, and I remember sitting through those and. And for a kid that, that wasn't a big fan of taking notes in high school and college, I don't think I've taken more notes in my entire life than, than in those 
those classes and those clinics and symposiums. They're good in the stuff. Last five years. A lot of good stuff. So you coach. This is this is to me one of the more interesting parts of your story. You coach bantam bees. You're just like gobbling up. You're taking anything you possibly can uh, in the hockey world. Um, did did did. How in the world did you get a job coaching Wyzetta's JV varsity hockey from being a Bantam B coach for two years? How is that even possible? So I, I, I kind of put the journalism career on hold um, and really started falling in love with coaching hockey. And I was working at Dave's Sports Shop on the side because I think I was making 750 bucks coaching hockey at the time. Yep. Uh, um and I was working part-time at Dave's Sports Shop, and the manager named Phil Ronnebaum was was really in the thick of things of, of high school hockey and, and the landscape and all that. And me and Phil kept getting closer and closer, and he's the one that connected uh, me and O'Leary. In fact, O'Leary came in once to, to kind of do the high school order. And yep. Phil was like, hey, Brownie, come back here. Just sit and meet, meet Coach O'Leary. He was on the national championship team in 02. And I want you guys to meet. And, and that, that kind of just took off from there. And so you go in and you have an interview with him uh, in the, the summer of 2014. Uh, what was he thinking when he hired a Bantam B coach to be his JV head coach? Ah. <laughs> uh... The amount of times I've asked myself that question is is in the because in the that's kind of like your big break if you think yeah, about it. Yeah, it, it, that that that's probably the, the the biggest one through the course of all of this is we're, we're having lunch or whatever, and and he's talking about how his varsity staff is him and Blake Sloan who won the Stanley Cup with the Dallas Stars and Mark Sorensen who was a, a, a big part of the, the Bantam double eight good Wyzetta teams and then helped take the Wyzetta team in 2013 with O'Leary. So it was those guys. And then Case Paxton had been with, with Pat for a while. And then I was going to kind of be, you know, the fifth guy on staff. And one thing led to another. And I, I ended up showing up to every varsity and JV practice that year, um, back to back every single day for the entire season. And, uh, Blake Sloan ended up getting a, an unbelievable job following that season that I coached JV and and Sora since Mark had stepped away from the game and Pat brought me over for dinner at his house with his wife on on his deck at his house at the time and asked if I wanted to be a varsity assistant following my first year on on the JV staff and what a run you had at YZ for a few years. Let's walk through the first season uh, you coached. Uh, it, it all started at the Turkey Trot. You guys uh, win the Turkey Trot, which isn't something that YZ normally does. They usually no, kind of no, slow, no, right? no. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it started in in the greatest summer hockey. Oh, correct, time correct. With uh, Eden Prairie, Elk River, Minnetonka, and YZ. Yeah, that was over at Pick. I remember that. It was it was at Pick. Pat was running it at the time. This was before we joined the Braemar tournament. Yep. This was literally the last year of the Pick one. Um, and it was Elk River, um, who was a loaded team. Yes. It was Minnetonka loaded, and then obviously Eden Prairie's Casey Middlestad's junior year. Michael team. Graham, the whole group, right? Michael Graham, Nikki Lieberman, uh, yeah, all those guys. So you, you won that tournament, and at that point you might have known it was going to be a special season, but still you weren't one of the top five teams in the state uh, to start the season, were you? No. In fact, we were 
the year I was the JV coach, uh, I think we were pre-ranked number two in the States. Right. And lost in the semis to Minnetonka at Bloomington. Um, and we finished 500, like 12, 12 and one. So probably right. 12, right. Yeah, whatever. And it was just, it was a tough year. And then this year, we, the following year, I think we kind of hovered between seven and 12 most of the season. I mean, there were games we lost seven to nothing and yeah. there were games that we, we played unbelievable. And so we started, we started off two and two. Okay. Um, and, and that was the year you went up to Hermantown and Duluth East and kind of, did it turn around a little bit there after that, so, that trip up yeah, there? Yeah, we, we won the Turkey trot. We beat Maple Grove. We beat Edina. It was a pretty big deal. Um, and then we go up to Hermantown in one of the craziest games I've ever seen. I was there. I'm not going to say that it was Hermantown refs, but, uh, the calls didn't go our way that night. And then, and then we no showed for a matinee game the next day on a back-to-back against Duluth East. And, and it was, it was tough. We lost back-to-back games. Emotions are high and we had benched a senior in that game and, and emotions were super high. And we, me and coach Rooney kind of just looked at Pat and say, Pat, this one's yours. And Pat went into the room by himself. And I, and I don't know the story. I don't know what, but they had a pretty good heart to heart Duluth East that day at, at the rink at the heritage center. And I think they shut the lights off and they kind of came together a little bit there. Um, but I mean, then the Schwann's, cup happened and we we laid an egg that week and lost i think seven nothing or something to hill murray and and then and then things kind of took off the the, the turning point was a three-game winning streak against edina minnetonka and grand rapids and they were all road games yeah and you're all the you're the home you're the road team so you're not getting the last change you're you're kind of learning you're probably at this point learning how to play four lines because that was really one of the signatures besides Alex Schilling and Hank Sorensen the four line story is probably what really uh ended up getting you guys over the top against Eden Prairie at the end of the year so Pat's Pat's run the D and and I mean we played we play a loaded schedule and that Grand Rapids team was loaded McLaughlin Gavin Hain Mike Miller Mike and Miller um, just all those guys and then you know the Minnetonka had Keandre Miller and that that team was loaded and Edina had a bunch of young guys but they were loaded with you know Clayton Phillips and Sammy Walker and all those guys and it was. I knew Pat was getting Hank on the ice against other guys, top guys. And yeah. we were playing Grand Rapids in Grand Rapids. The place was packed. We had, there's no glass behind the bench. Nope. And they have like season ticket holders there. And they're just reaming the coaches and the players like right in your ear. There is glass, and, but it's probably like four feet high. And it, it, I'll just, I'll, I'll never forget it. And we were struggling that night. We had no legs and we started playing our fourth line a ton and they started getting, who was on that fourth line, Griffin Ness, Andrew Urban and Matt Cassette. Now they're uh, Griffin's probably like a freshman or sophomore at that point, isn't he? (laughs) So Griffin, Griffin's a sophomore. Um, and, and, if you really break down that whole season, he started the season on our first line with Sendin. Um, and then, you know, the line's just kind of moving around. In fact, Hank actually played two games at forward that season. Um, it, it, it was a crazy season, but Gr- Griffin Griffin is an amazing player. It just worked out that he ended up on our fourth line. Um, and that Grand Rapids game, they kind of tilt the ice back in our favor. And 
I think we scored a goal from the half wall and then Lindstrand scored one from the point and we ended up winning that game two to one. And, and that's that, that bus ride home. The next day we played a three on three tournament outside, had brunch, kind of hung out, took the bus ride home. And it, it, it just, that's when we knew we had something kind of special. So walk through uh, that season, the, the 16 season, because again, this is the year that this is the Benilde year, right? This is, they, they had, um, they were undefeated, and they're, they're, you know, Connor Mayer, that, that whole team was just loaded. Um, and they were the prohibitive favorite. They get beat in the section semis. Walk through the bus ride, because I talked to Pat about this on our pod a few weeks ago, but where were you in the whole, that this all went down when, when, when Benil loses to Creighton? So if we, if, if we back up a little bit, we're playing Minnetonka, um kind of for the conference championship Mm -hmm. and and if i had to bet there was probably 40 minutes in penalties that game and hank got i want to say hank hank Sorensen got um suspended a game against benilde no so really so we play benilde (laughs) with (laughs) yeah shock uh surprising um we play benilde without hank and there's a big hit right along Benilde's bench by the penalty box. And Gleekel. It was Gleekel. Gleekel. Yeah, it was Gleekel and Sendin. Yep. And Sendin, uh, I think Gleekel's season was over after that hit. Yep. It, was, it was a pretty big hit right where the kind of the bench and the, the penalty box kind of meet. Um, yep. And that's on an Olympic ice sheet at that point because yep. it hadn't downsized yet. And... That I, I don't want to say that that was a huge loss, but losing Gleekel for that Benil team was kind of a big deal. Yeah. And then to the question that you asked, we were on the bus ride um, to Bloomington Ice Garden to play Dinah for the fourth time, and I think there was a tweet that went out, probably from Youth Hockey Hub. It was. Pat Pat stood up. I was in the seat right behind him where I always sat, and I think he kind of walked the boys through that it doesn't mean it matter anything and. I, we had a that was probably the worst of the four games we played against Edina. We had to come from behind, and Dylan Riley had a huge game. I think Amar Botra had a big game, um, and we it was I think a, we ended up having to score like five goals to win that game. I think we won five three. It was a packed house. That was a packed house. And then the next night or two days later, you play at Mariucci against Creighton, and it was no easy game. I mean, that was I believe Creighton was leading at some point during that game. Yeah, they were. Uh, they scored on the power play on a high tip in the high slot to take a lead. Um, going into the third period, we we needed something, and and I remember I was I was coaching the forwards. Pat was coaching the D, and I remember just telling the forwards like, "Hey, if you get a chance, we need to shoot the puck." And so we have a two on one with Patty and Duma, uh, Luke Patterson and and Billy Duma, and I remember they're on a two on one. I'm thinking, dude, just shoot the puck, and and Patterson slides it over, and Duma hammers it into the net. And I was like, oh, what do I know? You guys just do your thing. And and we went on to win that game. They ended up scoring the same type of goal on a two-on-one in the state championship against Eden Prairie when when we had two five-minute majors. Patterson had a five-minute major. Hank had a five-minute major. And it was, it was a very similar experience to that Cretan game. In that, you go back to that four lines. I'm, I remember, I think it was in the Stillwater game where Griffin Ness gets the game-winning goal. And he's a fourth liner. Right, I mean, this with, is with right? four minutes left in the third period. Yeah, so, I mean, so that proves what how valuable this four lines were. 
Yeah, you know, in the sections, you you play Thursday, Saturday, Wednesday. So we played the first round game Thursday. You play Saturday night um, in the packed house, which is arguably one of the funnest nights of high school hockey is those, mm-hmm. those section semis. Um, and then you go Wednesday night at Mariucci. And the state tournament's way different. You're playing three games in three nights. Stillwater lost Luke Manning in the quarterfinal game to an injury. Um, and that, that Stillwater game was loaded. Our staff went and watched the famous goal that Kate's scored against Hill Murray that was on sports center. And they were dealing with all that media coverage. We're dealing with the Mark Sennon interview or after the Burnsville game of everything like that. And yep. just, just so many fun little quirks of, of that whole season. Um, and yeah, our fourth line was, was playing a regular shift every third period that, that stretch run yeah. and, and Griffin Ness scored um, against Stillwater with four minutes left. In a 24-hour stretch, I interviewed Noah Cates uh, after he, within 24 hours of him scoring that goal and Hank Sorensen uh, giving the famous I, I Want to Go Live with Dinosaurs video all at about a 24-hour stretch. What was your team thinking when he goes on that video and just uncorks it all? I mean, he just he let everyone know, the world know, that he was a different human being. I don't think I'll ever coach a kid like Hank again. Um, me and me and Hank are actually still pretty close. I think I had an hour conversation with him the other day, and I, I didn't know if I should click play when I saw he was <laughs> he was on youth hockey up because I didn't know where it was going. And we're trying to focus in on the state tournament. Yes, it, is it, um, we're not trying to distract kids, but it can be a no, distraction, it, right? It, you know, we're pretty we're pretty familiar with with all the teams. I think Farmington was was in it that year before the coach yeah. went to, to Blake or whatever, Boom or whatever. And, um, you know, Grand Rapids, we had already played them. Eden Prairie, we played them twice already. Anoka with yeah. Isaac Johnson, we had played them at our, our rink that season. So we, we had kind of, I think Bemidji actually won Section 8 that year. Um, yes. But we knew all the teams pretty well. And we're trying to get prepared, and we've already seen a lot of them. We went and watched that Stillwater game and scouted them, and then Hank Sorensen's on Youth Hockey Hub doing a video. And, yeah. and I, and it's, it's crazy. You know, what a lot of people don't realize is when you, when you make the state tournament, it's, it's on a Wednesday night and you don't play that weekend. Yeah. So you, you win at Mariucci, it's Wednesday. And I remember like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like O'Leary is the amount of stuff that goes into it. You wouldn't believe from what hotel you get from, do you actually stay in St. Paul? Do you not stay in St. Paul? Right. To uh, the media, like, you know, whether it be Cable 12, CCX Sports, or people wanting to interview. And and I remember Pat had so much going on. This is what makes him so good is his ability to handle all that. And we're, we're me and Rooney are trying to run practices, and then Hank Sorensen ends up on Youth Hockey Hub. It's just like, all right, here we go. Let's see it. And those videos, I mean, people look forward to that stuff. Like, And, and it, this is my one takeaway of those videos. Like you just said, between Wednesday or Thursday when you make it to state to the following Thursday, there's a lot of idle time, right? So when I'm asking the people, to, hey, do you want to come on and do this you know, two-minute video? They'll do whatever you ask them. They're so excited about playing the state tournament, and you want to you want to interview them. They, these kids love just the attention that goes in the, before the state tournament. That everything they it's, get, it's it's unbelievable. And I, it, one of the years we made it to state the next year, so I'm not sure what year it was. Was the year Barry Melrose came to do yep. the, the the hockey the hockey here the hockey? I think hair that was 17. 
That was that, I think it was the year after, but you throw all that into the mix and the hockey hair and these guys are, you know, doing some Primping. crazy things to their hair. And it's it's from from that Wednesday night at Mariucci to the Thursday, it's insane. The, isn't the it? following Thursday, well, even Wednesday, because yeah. Wednesday night's the banquet in St. Paul. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, it's it's God, I I I can't even. It feels like yesterday now that we're talking about it. All right, so um, we documented documented pretty well with Pat uh, how Hank was kind of the lockdown guy on on Casey. What was your memory of coaching the forwards and the four lines uh, when and, and Alex Schilling? I mean, there's a lot to talk about there. Yeah, you know, you could do you could just talk about that 2016 team, but our decor was pretty good. Grant Anderson and Hank and Jack Carlson and Kubinski and Logan Lindstrand and and Noah, and then we played four lines pretty pretty heavily. It was you had three seniors on our first line that 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 were the ones that went out there, and those guys kind of turned that state championship game around. That's when they really shined. Matt Nelson scored a four on four goal, and Duma and Patty scored the shorthanded goal, and those guys were kind of the guys that you could just trust in any situation against any line. And then when, when guys like Middlestad would come off the ice, you'd kind of go out there with that second line of, of Riley Botra and Stevens. And then when Middlestad got back on the ice, you'd come back with Mark Sendon's line. Right. Um, and, and those guys could kind of hold their own. And then if, you know, Middlestad stayed out for two minutes, it was fine. Your fourth line could go out there in an offensive zone draw. And, and I know you and Pat touched on it, the TV timeouts. It's huge. Even though we, even though we didn't have last change, we knew who was coming on the ice. Every it was, TV it, it timeout. Was, it was, it every. was Middlestad and Graham every time. And actually we split with them in the regular season one-on-one. Yep. Uh, they beat us at our place and we beat them at their place. But they switched their lines. I, I want to say they had Casey and Graham split and then put them together and then had uh, Nolan Sullivan run their second line. Yep. Um, and I had coached Nolan and HP or whatever. And, and we, you know, when these guys play on these HP and off-season teams, they know each other so mm. well. Like I told you, we played Edina four times that year. We played Eden Prairie three times that year. The Lake Conference is uh, um, a completely different animal. So the, these guys know their assignments. They know who they're on the ice with. They know, you know, oh, I'm lined up against Casey. Okay, we're going to we're gonna probably not try anything crazy here this shift. And when Eden Prairie got the puck, we, we had Urban Shadow Middlestead. We had Mark Shadow Middlestead, and we had Matt Nelson Shadow Middlestead. So those three centers, when they were on the ice, they knew that if we exactly. didn't have the puck, those three guys were going to skate next to him the whole time in hopes – that they could hold on for dear life until Hank could get it, get to him. Right, right. So at some point, uh, the, the, then the following season, uh, coaching high school hockey wasn't enough. You needed to coach high school hockey and bantam hockey. You took over the Champlin Bantam A program, and you coached Champlin Bantam A's and high school hockey. Walk through that commitment. Yeah, I, I – um... A couple of people from, from Champlin had re-reached out to me from my time coaching Bantam Bees there. And they just said, you know, we're, we're kind of looking to figure out who's going to coach our top team or whatever. And I knew one of the assist, both assistant coaches, Travis Swan and Aaron Perry at the time. And just kind of told Aaron that I said, hey, you know, I'll, I'll kind of come show you the ropes and kind of tell you everything that Coach O'Leary's kind of showed me and, and try to bring it to our home association, which is where I was from. And 
you know, the, the whole plan was for me to groom Aaron in as, as the next Bantam, Bantam AA coach, trying to bring it from an A team to a AA team. And one thing led to another and I ended up doing it for three years, coaching two teams at the same time. And I'll never forget asking Coach O'Leary. Um, and I'll never forget what he said. I, I asked him, I'm like, hey, this is kind of my hometown. I, I, I kind of want to help it out. And, and he goes, as long as you're making kids better at hockey, I support it. And yeah. what, what people don't realize is, the band, the high school season's halfway through November to you know February, unless you make the state tournament. So it's quick and it's short. And the Bantam season is sixty games, ice times at nine o'clock at night. So combined, they don't overlap that much. I think I've in the three years I, I want to say I missed less than ten games. So yeah, you can definitely make it work, especially if you're the head coach at the Bantam AA level. You can kind of dictate the terms of the practices to, to work yeah, on your schedule, right? You know, at Champlain, they were super helpful to me and able to make it work. There's an ice draft, so you draft your own ice. I knew my blackout dates. I sent over the blackout dates to to the ice scheduler, and they didn't schedule any games that overlapped. CPYHA was super helpful so that I could do both, and it, it was awesome. Like, I'll never forget it. it I, I don't th- – we'll, we'll get to me doing it for four years, and I, I don't think I could do it anymore. I'm kind of running out of gas, but – it's uh, it was cool. Coaching Bantam hockey is a different experience. It's 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 super fun. It's a fun age. Eighth and ninth graders are are a fun age to coach. So the fall of eighteen, uh, I'm running the Bantam Elite League and Bantam Elite League tryouts, and like six or seven of these kids with blue breezers show up, and they take over the Bantam Elite tryout. It was unbelievable. I was like, God, we need that kid. We need this kid. We need that kid. And I always kind of knew who Hogan Syndrome was, but but Roy Johnson and, and some of these other kids was like, Whoa, we got to get them in the league. And at that point, we took, literally in one day, I think we took five or maybe six kids from Champlin Park. And you got them on your Bantam AA team for that next year, and it was a pretty epic season. Walk through that year. Yeah, so um... – I had them as first years, uh, Hogan, Syndrome, Roy Johnson, and uh, Ethan Moss, I think, played yep. in the BAM Elite League. Yep. And then even, I think, Drew Belson ended up playing in it last year or whatever. So the, yes. So all oh, Drew Belson. Yeah, good good player. Yes. So those guys played for me as first years. And then, you know, we, we kind of run a Champlain Bantam camp at that time in the summertime. And they're kind of coming back and forth from the Bantam Elite League. I remember, and I it, a lot of those games were at the St. Thomas Arena, and I was yep. I'd be driving down there, um, watching those guys play, and then trying to make it to the Elite League because Griffin Ness and Colin Schmidt were playing in the Elite League at the time. Um, and then I was coaching a Tier One team, two mixed in there for Minnesota Hockey, and just being around those guys, Hogan and Roy, and and some of these Champlain guys were really trying to get to that level that that I had seen with a lot of the Wyzetta kids and Coach O'Leary mentoring those guys. Um, and just kind of bringing that to the Champlain culture. And, and that band double A season was an amazing run. We, we didn't make the state tournament. We got in the same region as Osseo Maple Grove and Prior Lake, who I think were ranked one and two in the state. Yep. Um, and it, it just, it didn't work out, but it, there were some unbelievable games. We beat Minnetonka and Lakeville North. One of them I think was in double overtime and it, it, it was it, coaching that band double A team was, was special for sure. 
Now go back to let's go back to your ninth grade year. You know, you you kind of gave up on hockey at that same age, right? Uh, as as a ninth grader, do you sit there coaching ninth graders from Champlain, going, "I'm coaching these guys that are really good athletes." Do you, did you sometimes feel not worthy to, to coach kids this athletic? You know what I'm saying? Um, like I, I run into it. I, I coach these super it, all star teams. It, I'm like, it, I'm now nowhere near as good as these kids ever were. It's it's definitely a, a a big part of why I love the Bantam Age. I think it's a huge point of in a young man's life of which path he's going down. Um, and obviously, I had quit hockey after ninth grade. Yeah, and and Champlain hockey, I, it was you know getting these guys to to fall. I I always talk about wanting to refall in love with the game. Right. Um. And and that's a big part of why I love what I do is I didn't play hockey for five, six years. And it's kind of funny when I got to know Coach O'Leary and, and I started jumping into drills to try to learn. And at, at, at this point, you know, I'm 22, 23 years old and I'm re trying to learn how to skate. And his father-in-law, Rick Beckfeld, was a skating coach at the time yep. um, out of New Hope and still is. And I was going in the morning. I remember putting on all my gear at like 23 24 years old and i'm going to like 6 a.m skating lessons with rick beckfeld and you know relearning how to skate and those kind of things and sometimes you just look at these kids and you just remind them how good they are at yz so many i remember so many kids were so stressed out all the time sometimes you just tell them like hey take a deep breath man you got the skills as opposed to the stress level that they sometimes put on themselves in those big time games and the, you know, the HP, if they make the team or don't make the team and the discourage and encouraging and re-encouraging and telling them that if you put in the work, good things happen. And yeah, it's, it's a big reason um, why I love coaching is, is helping kids when they feel like quitting, kind of remembering why they, they started in the first place. So walk through uh, the, the hiring process. Um, you, you, after coaching at YZ for a couple of years or two or three years and, and, and at the Bantam level, um, you get some interviews. You, you interview with Minnetonka, you interview with Hopkins, you interview with Totino Grace. Um, let's just say you came in second in some of those interviews. What did you learn in that process of not winning the interview? Yeah, you, you, you never really know where you fall or whatever when you don't get the job. But right. I, I remember like the Totino Grace job, uh, I, I want to say it took like three three months because Brian Murphy, I believe, was one of the finalists for yep. the Minnetonka job at the same time. Yes. Old, where they were hired because he had coached the two BAM AA teams that that won the state championship or whatever, and and that process went on for a while, and it it, it kind of wears on you. To be honest, it, that three month was you're like, God, am I T- TG head coach? Am I not? All these things, and then the Breck thing I think happened the following summer and and at, at one point I remember I just you, you get the phone call and wondering if you're interested in applying and and it takes another step and at some point I I had kind of been like you know what maybe it's your, your playing career it's not there right you know, maybe maybe that's what's kind of being the reason maybe it's because you're super young I think the first interview I was 24 at the time um when somebody first called me so then fast forward to the, the Rogers process. This is probably my third summer of going through the, the rigor or more of, of all these interviews, which is funny because what a, what a high school hockey coach gets paid is, is it's, it's funny how many peanuts. you go through for uh, a part-time job. Um, but it, uh, 
I, I was like, no, I, I, I don't want to apply for this Rogers job. I, I, I'm a Wyzetta assistant. I want to get into it. I, for three summers in a row, it's kind of like you got a foot out the door and you're wondering, like the kids think like you're just trying to get out of here. And that's not the case. It's not how it goes. And finally, I'm like, I, I, I had spoken to the athletic director at Rogers and he's like, this is not going to be a three month process. This is, this is right up before like SCP is supposed to be getting started right. and they're trying to get a coach in for the STP and all that. And, you know, and just having a really candid conversation with Dan Olgren, the AD at Rogers and, and starting to do a little looking into the youth program and realizing that the Bantam A team and the B1 team and the PBA team and the B1 team, even though they weren't playing at the double A level, had some numbers and had some success. And it was a pretty good little program that was growing. And it's, it's not far away from where I live. And there's just a lot of things I was like, all right, let's do it. I'm, I'm in, let's, let's apply for this job. And I think it was like two weeks later, I was the head coach at Rogers. I mean, when I when that Matt job came open, I said, "Whoever gets this job, it's a gold mine." They're sitting on a gold mine, and they probably have no idea how deep the youth program is there. And, and I'll go back; it's, it's it may seem kind of petty, but their bant their their p their squirt A team was pretty good, and both their squirt B teams were uh, number one and number two. So that tells you that that age group, that whatever at that time, fourth and fifth graders three years ago were really deep and guess what they're peewees now and before you blink your eyes they're going to be playing for you and and they're like you said they're they're peewees and they're bantam b1s and they're they're their bantam a's were successful you're gonna have a lot of talent there and it's just growing the numbers just keep growing and growing in rogers i i think a, a big thing about the the rogers program is as it's growing my experience, you know, watching O'Leary at Wyzetta and how he made that feel like a small association um, was something that I, I thought was amazing in my time at Wyzetta as I kind of got in there during the middle of it after he had already been to the state tournament, all those things. And w when I got the Rogers job, they obviously had been playing A and we they had in the A team went to state, the B one team went to state, the the PBA team, and all this, all these guys went to state, and I just I wanted to take it to higher expectations. I really wanted to kind of build in a bigger standard of, you know, more heads in section eight. They're really good, you know, and I want Rogers program to to get on that level and hold themselves to kind of that caliber of expectations. And, you know, I was an assistant coach on the Bantam AA team and we made the state tournament that never happened this year. Um, and, and the varsity team had an awesome season. It, it was it was 1000 times more work than I ever anticipated. But there's a bright future in, in Rogers with their hockey program. And you're right. The depth is I mean, the PWA team that we had a double AA and a PWA team. And both those teams are just loaded with really good players from 06s all the way down to 08s. And it's 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 a it's a it's a booming program. Uh, it's exciting to watch. Um, walk through. Let's go a little more detail, granular on the whole making the big association seem small. What are some of those aspects of what what you're talking about with Pat and that you're bringing over to Rogers? Yeah. So you know, on on Monday nights, I know Pat talked about it. On, yep. on all three rinks, you have the high school coach, the, the high school staff running the skill sessions. 
And, you know, are you, are you making Connor McDavid in those, those Monday night sessions? Probably not. But what you're doing is you're getting your high school kids involved. You're getting your coaches involved. You're learning the kids' names. You know their faces. And you don't have the same team every Monday night. You're kind of shuffling through it. And, you know, Pat's on one rink. I was on another rink. And, you know, Case or D.O. or Rooney would be on another rink. And and now Miles is a big part of that. Um but bringing that to Rogers and making it a Rogers program, like, like, what does that mean? Why, you know, we started, it's called the Royal family and making it feel like a family. And um, it, there's so many brothers in, in the program, like on my varsity team, you, you had a Lubke and there's a Lubke on the PWA team and there's two Dobitzes and we had two Miller brothers. And then you have the Jensen brothers and, and there's, there's so many, brothers throughout the program whether it be the squirt c team all the way up to the varsity team and it just you you want that as it's growing you don't want to lose that um and and it's it's a privilege to be a part of it now it sounds a little bit like what what moorhead does and that's your competition do you think of when you when you wake up in the morning uh do you think of moorhead as a as your big competition or do you think of like district 10 as your competition you know what's more local you know what i mean great question it's it's a different dynamic it is because um, you're which, not Wyzetta, really a northwest which, minnesota team but you know what you know, rozo which, is which, your competition with Wyzetta though like i don't want to compare them too much but no. like they play in district three so osseo maple grove is their big rival in district three but then when you get to high school your section at first it was like eden prairie and minnetonka now it's edina and benilde and those, those kind of things but I, that that is something I really want our youth to know is you know Moorhead and Rozo and Saint Michael and Brainerd and Saint Michael, even though they're not in District Ten, um, th- those are the kind of the the rivals that we're going to have to build up and earn some credibility with at the high school level. Um, but District Ten at the Bantam levels is is pretty darn good for competition, whether it be Centennial, Blaine, um, Elk River. They it's uh they play seventeen minute periods, they play fifty five games. It's it's being in district ten for band double A definitely has its advantages. Yeah, absolutely. Walk through that. Um uh, I think part of the reason uh District Ten is so successful is I don't think a lot of those programs, except Elk River historically has, has taken some ninth graders onto its varsity. What's your policy gonna be about taking ninth graders onto the varsity team? Would do you see that something you would do to someday or are you gonna try to keep them at the Bantam level as hard as much as you can? Uh, obviously I've, I've coached the band level now for, for six or seven, seven years broken up into two, two segments, but that, that experience of being a freshman playing 60 games, um, with the guys that you've grown up with and with the guys that you're going to play in high school with, I think is such a, uh, an amazing experience that you can't get back that coming to play freshman as a high school and grinding and meeting these seniors that you've never played with, that you barely know, the season goes by so fast that, you know, by the time it's over, it's, you know, you, you, there, every situation is different, but I think with the band double a competition in district 10 and, you know, the, 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 the program we're trying to build at Rogers, we want all our teams to have success. And, you know, you start pulling kids up from, you look at Hermantown and Hermantown, they, band a, they have a band double a, a band of a and a band of B one team. And, and seeing that is, is you don't want to start, you know, 
sabotaging your whole youth program for for one extra kid to help your varsity team. You had it. You you coached. You saw. We, we've talked about Griffin Ness already. He he did it. I don't think he's. I think I don't want to see. He'd probably admit he struggled a little bit as a ninth grader in the program. Grant Anderson as well. I mean, these kids were probably a little too young to be playing at that level, and they would have really helped the Bantam team. I, I was I was a JV coach. I, that that year is is a blur for me. Um, I, I, I don't, I, every situation is different. Griffin, yeah. his sophomore year, he was on the fourth line and hearing his story is, is fat. He's one of my favorite players I've ever coached. And now he's the captain of Waterloo and going to North Dakota and just seeing how much of a grind mentally it was freshman and sophomore year for him. Yeah. Um, it, it, I just, sometimes I don't think everybody's ready for that. Right, right. That's a good way to put it. Um, so what are some of the programs that you have in place uh, in Rogers? Uh, I'm guessing that based on your involvement at, at Wyzetta is you're going to be rolling up your sleeves with the mites and the squirts and the peewees, knowing everyone by first name. Is this, is this, this, is, this is the grand plan, I'm guessing, for you. Yeah, you know, Pat, Pat does an amazing job developing hockey players, and it's, it's something that I was kind of already – doing even before i started at yz i was kind of running a camp out of brooklyn park mm-hmm. um, and that camp has kind of grown into just kind of a metro area development hockey program and and then we're, we're there's one at rogers now too and you know with this covid thing it's kind of funny we, we got more ice than than i could have ever imagined and it the, the growing this rogers program is is a big it's it's my full time job, and it's it's something that I could not be more excited to do. And you know, I also we also do the Minnesota Lakers, and that, that extends all the way from Alexandria to Matamidi. And it's it's been I've kind of lucked into that, and it's just there's there's a lot that I I love, and I love being on the ice, and I love working with kids, and it um it's it's just it's what I do. So the Lakers is, a, is an off-season program, like you saw, talked about. It. There, there, there's probably a lot of kids. I would say that most of your kids are coming from the northwest northwest suburbs. Um, uh, are, are, is it required for Rogers kids to be in your no, program? No, see, do you see? Your, you see? I'm, I'm leading you down a road of an obvious no, answer, no, but you get where no. I'm going. That's right. Yeah, my, my 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 Lakers program is is from all over. I mean, we got kids from Alexandria on it, and no kid should be coached by the same coach for, for 12 years. So I, Rogers kids, there's so many good programs in the state of Minnesota that they're it's what fits best for a family. And, you know, my Lakers program is something I'm pretty prideful of and it's come a long ways in a short amount of time. And, you know, we, we took our Oh sixes down to Chicago last year and we were taking the Oh sixes and Oh sevens and Oh eights. But what, what a lot of people don't realize about the Lakers program is we have coaches from all over. So, you know, Miles Deeth is, is one of our coaches yep. and he's a assistant and he kind of helps with the Oh sevens. And, um, you know, obviously I, I'm with Rogers and we got some of the Champlin coaches, the PWA coach from Champlin coach dish. He, he kind of runs, you know, an 06 and an 08 team and coaches those guys. And it's, you know, I, you never really know what it is or what it's going to be, but um, it, uh, we were really excited for the season. Uh, and it's, it's too bad it kind of got wiped away. A little bit, it did. So let's talk a little bit about your squad next year, Rogers. You, you lost a lot of seniors this year. Uh, what what do you bring in from your Bantam team? Uh, what do you, how do you surmise your team will be this year for at the, at the high school level? 
So we lost 11 seniors. Um, and we're bringing in uh, a Bantam AA and Bantam A team, uh, which which I think has like 18 freshmen between wow. the two and, and a Bantam B1 team. And the, the numbers look like, you know, possibly 50 to 60 kids trying out. Um, That's got to be exciting. It is. And, you know, hopefully we'll have a junior gold program and, and hopefully we're going to find a place for, for these kids to play. It's, it's going to be a mix. A lot of these kids have never played together, whether it be the sophomores and the seniors or, or whatnot. But I think um, we have a we have a really tough schedule. Uh, you know, we added Wyzetta and Benilde and Minnetonka and Duluth East, and we we play Moorhead um, and all our section opponents, St. Michael, Rozo. Um, Rozo's going to be really good. Yeah, they uh, are. Moorhead's going to be really good. And, th- and then obviously we're in the Northwest Suburban Conference. Last year was Rogers' first year being in the Northwest, so you get to play Maple Grove and Blaine and Centennial Elk um, and Elk River and Totino. And it... Uh, it's it's going to be an, an awesome experience for these kids to to try to continue to raise those expectations to wanting to do something with their program. And we got a lot of kids that want to play hockey after high school. We got a lot of kids that are super committed, that are working incredibly hard, um, that I think are going to surprise some people. Uh, you and I talked before the show about the 2014 Bantam A Bantam AA State Tournament that was held in Rogers. And my takeaway from your building was it was fantastic. It was a beautiful facility. But the other takeaway was I only see one sheet of ice. And I'm like looking around. I'm like, how can we? And I saw all these new homes being built in Rogers. I'm like, how is hockey going to grow here with one sheet of ice? It's got to be one of your challenges in Rogers is finding ice for your youth program and your high school team to play. The the one ice sheet is by far the biggest challenge. What a lot of people don't know about the Rogers Youth Association. It's beautiful is, though, right? You got to admit, oh, it's a beautiful it's, facility. It's, it's an awesome facility, and and Mike Bauer who runs it, it's amazing. In fact, he's the the rink's opening this week, and the ice is getting put in, and it, it's. It's awesome, and the hockey culture is building, and it's there. The one thing people don't realize is half our youth teams uh, have to go to Princeton and practice sometimes, um, which is which is a haul. In fact, you know when I coached two teams, so Wyzetta and Champlin, the Champlin rink was literally five minutes from my house. But this year, coaching the Rogers band team, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into when I'm driving to Princeton um for for a bunch of practices but you know the super rink we're, we're getting ice at the super rink now for the youth team for the youth association which which is hopefully more convenient than princeton um and there's talks of a second sheet so i guess in my time at rogers i i, I hope to help uh make that uh come to fruition and get in a second sheet in rogers because it's it's a huge association it's only going to get bigger I, uh, funny you should mention the Princeton. Uh, I, I've been there a few different times. The sports journalism takes you to some weird places when there's a good hockey game, right? You know what I mean? Like, well, how did I end up here? And the first thing I remember when I went to Princeton for the first time for a Princeton Mammal uh, inter, interseason, you know, midseason game was I walked in, I looked to the right, and that's where the concessions were. And I looked, what's over here to the left? Oh, there's another sheet. Princeton has two sheets in that town. And very, I mean, it's a it's a decent sized program, but it's no Rogers, you know, it's no Elk River, but it's got a two really nice sheets of ice. Yeah, it's uh, I once you get there, I can't complain about, you know, actually practicing there. And, and the, the only thing is sometimes the, the ice times are pretty early in the morning or a Sunday or whatever. Right. But 
I'm 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 sure if Rogers had a second sheet, they they would uh, prefer that over driving to Princeton. But no it's, question. It's, it's it's they got two sheets in Princeton. That's crazy. If they got two sheets in Princeton, you can get two sheets in Rogers, right? That's the way I would look at think, it. You would think so. Yeah, eventually that'll happen. Any other thoughts about uh, the the Rogers program that we we might have left out here in today's conversation? Yeah, no. Um, it's 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 an awesome experience. It's too bad the Bantam Double A team didn't get to play um, in the state tournament. I think that was a big deal. I think a lot of the community was going to come out. And, you know, it, it's it's kind of a pinch me moment just, you know, being on the podcast with you right now um, that that Rogers is kind of getting on the map. And and I do think that those those freshmen um, and the high school team really took that to heart. And it's it's fun to be a part of it. Well, I've been a big fan of uh, yours and and, and Rogers. I, I, I you could see it building three, four years ago, and when the when they were in the spectacular, I went, man, this is going to be a really special run. And I, like I said, I think you're sitting on a gold mine in Rogers, and I'm really excited about uh, your future and what you're going to do with the program there at Rogers. Yeah, it's uh, just having kids that that want to play hockey. Um, and, and, and are committed to it and dedicated and putting in the work is, is addicting to be around. And my staff of Jake Peranto, who played for the Gophers, and, and Travis Swan, who I've known for a long time, and, and all the way down to the squirts, I think it's, it's going in the right direction. Well, good luck, Dave, and uh, good luck to you getting on the ice and, and, and have a great summer. Awesome. Thank you so much. As part of today's show, Dave will get a gift from the Minnesota and sent to him. Thanks to the Minnesota again for their sponsorship of the pod. Make sure to stop in and check out or jump on the line, jump online and ch- check the t- code tradition for free shipping for all YHH listeners. Thanks, thanks for tuning in. We hope to see you around the rink soon.